Hi, guys. I'm Aisha Scott. I'm a filmmaker based in the UK. I have been making films now for the past eight years. I run my own production company. Hello, and welcome to Obehi Podcast. I'm your host, Obehi Ewanfo, and I strongly believe that everyone has a story to share. Now, let's get started with this episode. A Scott production, so my films are all independently made. And yeah, I'm hoping to change that soon as I am going into production with my feature film, which will be a global release. So yeah, I hope to share some content with you guys soon. All right, that's interesting. All right, Aisha, let's do it this way. Give me a little background about you because here we talk about ourselves, where we are coming from, who we are, uh, then before we talk about what we do. So let's try to know you. Okay, so I was brought up in Deptford, which is, which used to be, I should say, a quite a rough part of the UK in South London. So I grew up as a little bit of a rebel. So um, what was that like? <laughs> So I grew up um, as a little bit of a rebel, not really having much direction, but I was always into the arts. So used to do poetry. So I used to recite poetry. I used to do acting. So I initially began my career as an actress at the Anna Share Theatre School. Did that for a good seven to eight years. Was featured in quite a few um, TV series, online web series, um, TV commercials, I've done billboards because I did a bit of modelling as well back in the day. And then I sort of rolled into my filmmaking career around about 2011. And yeah, that's sort of um, where it all stems from. So you were saying the, the place where you grew up was rough, uh, sort of, okay, it was rough or something like that. Uh, then you were uh, a kind of a rebel, as it were, no? Can you be more specific in that? Give us some feeling, because you are, <laughs> we are trying to understand your background. Okay, so growing up, I grew up in a gang. So I was a part of a um, street gang in London, a girl gang. And yeah, it was pretty rough. And it was all that you knew, really, because in the area... When you grow up in sort of deprived communities, then it's all sort of based around um, violence and sort of street life. That's what you know as a young child growing up. Like, that's all you see around. So, yeah, I grew up in a gang and um, used to get into a lot of trouble. So got arrested many, many times, got suspended from school. Like I barely used to attend school, to be honest. So I'm very fortunate to where I've come to today. Um what else did you would you want to know so <laughs> how is it even like to be uh young adolescent that are maybe uh involved in gang thing can you say anything about that so i would just say to young people do not get involved in gangs but unfortunately for me i grew up in a gang and i think it was more of like um it's almost like it's it's not really um, a gang, it's more like you grow up in groups. So it's like sisterhood, because it was a girl gang. So you create, there's like a group of friends and you got each other's back because you grow up in a rough 
community so you could be fighting there could be days when you're walking to school and someone from another area sees you that you've got like issues with like you've got beef with and then you have to end up in a fight so one time coming home from school I ended up getting stabbed in my leg and sorry about um, that yeah (laughs) that's the sort of thing that you had to go through so being in a gang was more like protection and it was more like your sort of sisterhood. So you always knew that you one of your gang members had your back. So if anything happened to you, you always got protected in that light. So, um, yeah, it was pretty rough, but it wasn't long drawn out. So I was probably got into sort of gang life from around about 12, 13. And by the time I was like 17, I was sort of on a better path, like going college and things like that. So... Yeah, it was pretty rough, but it it couldn't be avoided, I would have said, because it was just sort of like the community. Sometimes you're given a circumstance, but you don't that don't have to be your reality. So even though I grew up in a rough community and that's what the sort of starting point of my life involved, it it's not the end. For the fact that you were part of this gang, did it in any way maybe uh show you the way to go in the society, maybe helpful to you in what you become today? I definitely think that that sort of um, starting point in my life was a part of who I am today. So it taught me a lot of things because when you grow up in that sort of environment, you are fearless. So you don't, you're not really scared of anything. So that taught me to sort of like go for my dreams because I was not fearful of anything. So I never really sort of had that thing of fair. So I was just sort of tenacious from a young age. I'd be like, I want to do this. And nothing could stop me because I just thought, I'm a bad girl. <laughs> I can do what I want. So definitely think that, think that it shaped me to who I am. It taught me about different variations of life and different circumstances that people are put into and just wanting better for yourself as well. But I would never regret sort of going through that because, as you said, everything in life is a part of who we are and who we become. So I'm grateful for that sort of starting point in my life because it has made me who I am today. That is important now. So, um, Aisha, how did you define your identity as a teenager in Britain? Because later on, of course, we're going to be talking about black British, female black British, you know. But before we get there, I've tried to understand, how did you define your own identity while you were still growing up as a young adolescent? So, um, because it was sort of like, I grew up in a black community, so everyone around you was sort of from similar roots. So I grew up, I came from a single parent home, so most of the people around me was from a single parent home. And when you're sort of in that gang life, I feel like you are sort of narrow-minded, so that is your world so you don't really look outside of that and in terms of like fitting in as someone in the UK it was just like this was my community this was all I knew so I just saw myself as like like obviously at that point I didn't really see that there was a way out of that life and I just thought like I'm just a black girl from a black community and like broken homes and sort of poverty and that was sort of my world in the UK 
it was only till like growing up that you sort of expand and then you get different peer groups and start going to college and university and getting a job and things like that so then you sort of branch out of that into more understanding and how you can be restricted in terms of like being like a black woman growing up in society of like not getting um job roles and not fitting in as you thought you did sort of growing up because it was all safe because you grew up in a community with everyone that looked like you and it was sort of like everyone was the same all right now you're a filmmaker you're a storyteller you are someone who is sort of trying to interpret the society so tell me how did that start with you so um as i like was said earlier i've always been a storyteller so i started out um doing poetry so i used to do poetic stories and i used to recite them and the stories were always sort of stemming from my experiences so it was always based around sort of like um black on black crime um domestic violence it was always sort of um, created on my world and I used to like telling stories so from from like doing poetry and stuff like that and writing stories because I wrote like two poetry books when I was like 14 and um, from there I sort of ended up doing acting that sort of falls into like the story form and stuff as well because I just am obsessed with films like ever since I was young I've always just just something about movies just always sort of um gave me my imagination and made me saw that there was a bigger world out there so I was always sort of fascinated with films and how they were told so once I got into acting it was quite restricted restrictive over here because there wasn't much rose so this I'm talking about a good 15 years ago and there was nothing sort of created in terms of diversity and BAME and anything like that so the roles were very very typecast and I just got tired of it and I thought, you know what, I can tell stories. Like I really want to get into um, script writing and being able to share more black stories because I think it's really important for us to be able to um, set our narrative and be able to like see ourselves on screen and stuff like that because TV is very limited to the black face in the UK. So... That's sort of how I fell into it, really. I think I'm just a born storyteller and I sort of rode <laughs> into the field of filmmaking. All right, great. So we're going to be telling around storytelling throughout the remaining part of this conversation. Yeah. Uh, but before we get there, I want you to tell me, what is the central message of your storytelling? It's always um, message-based message and social impact. So the stories that I write have, always have to have a message, and the message is usually about change and perspective. So it's, I always try to tackle stories that are universal, stories that have already been told, but I try to always look at it in a way that can be told from a new perspective, in a way that can sort of put a spin on it to where it hasn't been told before. So in terms of like a film I just did, bullying film, I've I saw so many bullying films and the, the main films were just sort of like all the same. So I wanted to change the perspective of how I told the story and how I did that. I wanted to tell it from a teacher's perspective. 
So she could look at, so other teachers can look at um, key signs that bully victims go through. So that's just sort of like one example. But yeah, it's mainly sort of um, social impact and perspective. The people that you are uh, targeting in your story, the people you are, how do I say, the people whose story you are telling, because in most of the cases, we are not really telling our story. We are telling stories of other people or of the society we live in, and by extension, they become also our story because we don't live in isolation. So is this sense, um, who are the people you are telling mostly of their story? Is it the uh, Brit uh, black British or the British people in general or any type of people? I want you to help me understand your demography. Um, well, the, the main focus of my story is um, to express the black Jama Jamaican British culture. So it is sort of stories about my community because I think that's the gap in the market. So that's what I do tend to focus on the most is um, the black British Jamaican experience because my parents are from the Caribbean. And um, yeah, just my community, because I feel like um, that's what's missing from TV. So I feel like there's no point in making the same sort of content that's already out there. It's having a sort of safe, safe space for black voices to be heard. So most of my stories are sort of about my experiences, I'd say. You know, I, I like what you said before, that uh, the story, um, in the television, there is a, a less representation of uh, people that might look like you, you know, uh, who in your community people might be able, there are other people that are there, why can't also be people like me who are maybe interpreting the society, telling and retelling the same story. So I think that is where it becomes very important now that you are telling a story, a story of a people. It is very important, I see it from that point. Now, I want you to help me, give me a description, describe for me this community, this black British Jamaica community in UK. Who are these people? Give, give us a background. Let us know them through your <laughs> eyes. So um, I feel like um, the, the people that I'm sort of talking about, this sort of my people, like we are vibrant. We have culture, like we have... Um, we have talents, we have beauty. Like there's so much to the, the black culture that we don't get to see, just even like the way we wear our hair, the way that our features are, like it's all eliminated from mainstream TV. So this is who we are, do you get what I mean? Like even in my household, we grow up on sort of bashment music and it's just like the vibe and it's hard to explain to be honest because I don't know I don't want to be like isolating sort of other black cultures because I'm obviously like bigging up my own but I just feel like we're not represented in um especially in the UK like you, you switch on your TV and you just don't see people like you on that on the television and even though it's got a lot better since like 2020 when George Floyd um got killed and then there was all the big uproar and then a lot of the sort of broadcasters started to um rally around and like fight to get diversity involved and 
new TV programs and stuff like that, it's, they're still gatekeeping and it's, it's still hidden from the actual sort of essence of our culture of like just the food we eat, just the way we dress, the way we talk, our slang, our religion, our, just how we are. I feel like this, that's still being controlled. It's still not told in a way that is authentic to how we actually are. It's still like, there's still sort of like a filter on it, if that makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. And who is supposed to tell this story, this story of black British Jamaicans? Who is supposed, whose duty, whose role is it to tell this story? It's our role and our duty to tell the story because we are the representation and we know our stories in and out. We live our stories every day. So it is our responsibility to tell our stories. But that isn't always the case. We have a lot of stories um, depicting our cultures that are not being told from black people. Like white people are telling those stories for us. And it, you can just tell that it's not been written by us because the, just the way that it's been portrayed and perceived because as I was saying before, is there's still a filter on the way our culture is expressed and told in stories especially in Britain. Mm-hmm. It's a certain type, like if you watch um, British sort of films and TV series like around the black culture, it's still very much how the white person likes to see us. It's not like how we are. And I feel like that's why, for me, I'm just, I've been independent because I want to keep control of my story and how it is perceived to others because I need the next generation to be able to see themselves on TV, how they are. <laughs> if that, <laughs> do you get what I mean? I get it. I get it, sister. Yeah. All right. Um, tell us a little bit about your world in uh, filmmaking. What do you want people to know about uh, what you do in filmmaking? Because this is within the storytelling that, like, we are, like I said before, we are going to be moving on around storytelling. But now we are particularly interested in your uh, storytelling from using film as it were. Help us understand it. I write, produce and direct. So a lot of my filmmaking career so far, I've spent writing and producing. And then I made my directorial debut on my short film, Dismiss, the film that I was talking about earlier, the anti-bullying short film. Um So that's really my role. But this year, I've started to focus on mainly writing and directing. So that's the sort of um, direction that I'm pushing in right now, because producing is a lot of work. And I want to be a writer director. So I've just sort of put the producing aside. I still produce because I love producing. I would always love, I always love producing my content because I like to see the whole process from beginning to end so I don't think I could ever eliminate it fully but mainly I write and I write and direct. Mm-hmm. All right now I'm imagining a young uh, black British or let's put it this way a young black British Jamaican of Jamaica heritage who yes. is looking at you now and she want or he want to become a filmmaker in Britain but he or she doesn't yet understand how it works so what really does it take to become a filmmaker in Britain? And in this case, black British Jamaica. 
Well, firstly, I would say it would take, it takes a lot, <laughs> it takes a lot of resilience. Like you definitely need to be resilient in this British UK film industry because it is very difficult because it's very streamlined, but it's not impossible. So if you did want to like get into the industry and become a filmmaker, I would say just go out there, get your phone, and I know you might hear this all the time, but get your phone and just start putting little films together. Literally, get a small team of creatives, people with the same interests, get a lot of script together and just start making content. It's the only way that you're going to get yourself out there because trying to get through the other way with no experience and trying to get straight into the mainstream industry of filmmaking in the UK is very difficult. It's, I've been doing it for eight years and I've not got through yet. And like, I've got, sorry, and it's like my film has got like over 1.1 million views on YouTube and that's on my own channel. And that's me doing that independently. And I still haven't sort of like broken down the gates and crossed over to that mainstream side yet. And I'm not saying it's not impossible because it is and I know like obviously I'm getting I'm gonna be getting there do you get what I mean but if you want to become a filmmaker I'd say just get your stuff together do your research there's so much content online like I never went to film school I did a creative writing degree and straight after finishing I just made a feature film like Gorilla style me and some friends got together we had a script and we just went out and made the film. And you just got to build upon your own content. I feel it's like, get to that point where the gatekeepers and the people in the industry, they come to you. They start seeing, oh, wow, this is what this person has done all by themselves. So that's when they will start to want to invest in you. Because I feel like in the UK, they don't invest in you until... The world invests in you or till other countries invest in you that's why we have so much talent running away from the UK like going back to Africa going back going over to the states and making massive careers for themselves over there because it's so much easier so even myself like once I sort of drop this film that I'm doing now and that becomes sort of mainstream I'm going to be looking to go and do some work in the, in the states all right. In terms of maybe <clears throat> the technicality of it, uh, somebody now okay have um, the motivation because uh, he or she listens to you and want to get started. Uh, I don't know what you might rec okay. If you have a lot of money, you can just enroll in the mainstream school uh, for filmmaking to uh, get started. But say maybe we are looking at the community that don't have a lot of money now, but some individuals still want to come out and express themselves through film. Because there are the basis of taking a picture, no, and some of these things, so that they can get started with limited resources on their hands. When I started out, I didn't know anything about filmmaking, but over time, I just learned a lot of. I got a lot of information and a lot of resources online. So even now, I'm always watching content, or and I think you can learn. It's like even I started out doing YouTube um, a few years back and. I had no idea how to set up the camera. I had no idea about lighting, what camera or anything to get. And the information is there. It's online. It's free. Like, it's so simple to just 
go online and just focus on the basics. So if if you want to become a filmmaker, you might type in like to Google like um, basic equipment to filmmaking. And a lot of the time you will find that you can use your phone to make a film. Like there are even competitions out there where they accept your film from a phone, being made from a phone. Do you get what I mean? Like it can be that simple. I know it sounds a bit like um, brushing off, but in to become a filmmaker, you just have to do it. If you haven't got the resources, because I was going to go to film school, and when I looked at the cost and everything, I just thought, no, that is not going to work. So I had to think, how can I do this without going to film school? And the quickest and easiest option was for me was just hands-on, learn it, and just, I'm still learning. Do you get what I mean? But it's just hands-on, Get your phone out and make, like, I literally, because I run, oh, yeah, and I should put that out there as well. So I run filmmaking workshops. I run an, an academy because Ace got Academy. So look on my website because I can, you can holler at me and I can give you information and you can even sign up to one of my classes. But where I was going with that is I just um, finished my term and I, like, was teaching some young people and we made five short films. And that's great. That's what I'm saying. It's people <laughs> think it's so like in depth, but it, it can be so simple. It's all about planning, structure. So you don't know how to write a script. Learn from the basics from the beginning. So how you need your story. So what story do you want to create? What story do you want to make to put out there? You get your story together. Once your story's together, you have some friends read it. Get some feedback on the story. What's missing? If you've got holes in your script or you've got questions that people are asking, get them filled in. Get your story tight. Once you've got your story, you go out there, you get some friends. Look, I've got this, got this film that I want to make. And keep it simple. Like in the beginning, just keep it one or two characters. Keep it so basic, one location. And you can just film that in your garden, in your bedroom. <laughs> do you get what I mean? And then the process starts to, once you do it once, you start to expand and think, okay, well, I've made like a five minute short on my phone. Now I want to try and make a 10 minute short with a bigger crew and some camera equipment. And you just snowballed from there, really. The storytelling itself. I want to learn what is your take on the power of storytelling in the diaspora community and in this case again uh, the black british or the black british uh, jamaicans um i just think it's so important that we are represented as i like mentioned before like because being not seen it can create so much in sort of like who you are as a human being like growing up so when I was growing up, I didn't see any um, black people hardly on TV. And it does give you that sort of thing growing up of you have to look a certain way. So I used to wear a lot of sort of weaves and like live up to this idle image that I always used to see that was always thrown in front of me. So I feel like it's just so important that we see ourselves, that we see a representation of just who we are, like who we are as a black person. Like we need to see different variations of 
black people different complexions because even like in um society and in the media it's like this whole colorism thing and it's like a lot of sort of they want to put if they like choose a black um lead it's always sort of like a light-skinned person and we just need to see ourselves it just needs to be a normal thing where you switch on your telly and you'll be like oh that looks like my cousin or oh that looks like my auntie and it's not like someone other than ourselves who has chosen that character because a lot of the time it's down to the gatekeepers of how we are portrayed and represented and a lot most of the time the gatekeepers are white and they're not black so we don't really get our, a representation of ourselves but it's so important just for who we are as a race who we are as just like a community and it's just important that it's, it's just um, how it should be. Like, why shouldn't our stories be told? Why shouldn't we have that platform to put ourselves out there and just be as every other human is out there? Like, why shouldn't we see ourselves all the time? Why shouldn't our children see a reflection of their self on TV? A reflection. Yeah. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like that. What influences the kind of story that you tell? Your, when you choose that you want to make a film, what influences your choice or the type of film that you can make? Um, I like films where I can make an impact and it's quite like sort of controversial. It's sort of a topic that people don't really want to talk about. And um, it's going to sort of resonate. So the films that I like to make, that the films that I like to make, I like to make sure that they have that they will move people. Like people will watch them, they be engaged. And my things are, I want people to laugh, I want them to cry, and I want them to go away with like resonated. Something's resonated with them in that film, some sort of emotion. So you better be crying when you've watched one of my films. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you are so laughing. I like to make. I like to shock. I like to be bold with my content. Like I like people to say, "Oh my God!" Like, why does she do this? Like, cause debate, cause conversation. Like, I don't want to just make films for the sake of it, just to say, "Oh, I'm making a film." It always has to be an impact. So I I specialize in social impact. In your journey of uh, a, a filmmaker. If you want a female filmmaker in Britain, is there somebody you looked up to and you say, okay, I want to be like that person and you were learning to, maybe learning from that individual to see maybe how you can uh, become like that person, like kind of a role model. Is there anyone that you want to share with us? Ah! Um, it sounds really bad, but there's not really anyone that I've sort of um, can look up to because there's not many filmmakers in the UK. <laughs> so um, there is a guy, actually, his name um, is Freddie. So he's an independent filmmaker, but I really look up to him because he's just out there doing his thing. Like he's just making films back to back. Like he hasn't got the broadcasters behind him as yet but he's out there making films doing massive releases and 
he's just going for it. And I admire people like that that just literally put their foot on the brake and they just like they they don't care about nose. They don't care about who's seeing them. They are just out there making it. So yeah, I'd say Freddie, he's someone that I would definitely look up to in the UK as a filmmaker, indie filmmaker. But other than that, I just wanna be, I wanna set the bar. Like this is why I'm here, like Aisha Scott. I wanna be the one that sets the new that the the new the new Tyler Perry of the UK. That's who I wanna be like, just take it to another level, like start dropping film content every minute <laughs> do you get what I mean like have my own studio and get other filmmakers just be making content and pushing that out on a daily basis so yeah I kind of like just yeah I think <laughs> <laughs> I like that but that is very interesting though you need to have the audacity of of the audacity and also the boldness to challenge yourself and to say yes i want to do this i don't care yeah <laughs> I, li I like to. that <laughs> you have to because you only got yourself that's true but are there challenges that uh, someone like you face try to make film in the united in the united kingdom are there some challenges that you face yeah definitely there's loads of challenges because like being an independent filmmaker you don't have the financial resources so all my film content i've had to finance myself with my own money and to get the reach like to market your films to get them distributed globally and just to make them bigger and get them even the production quality to a higher standard you need finances and Finances are so limited in um, film production, especially as a black filmmaker. So they have an incentives for filmmakers over here where you can apply to them, but the application forms are quite tedious. They're quite depressing actually, like trying to apply to get funding for your films. And as I was like mentioning before, like over here, unless you're, you've got a big name or you've got certain credits and that, they don't really tend to take you seriously until you start sort of crossing over that bridge into mainstream. Then they start looking, you know, oh, who's that person? Let's get them under the radar kind of thing. But just being an independent filmmaker, there's a lot of hurdles in terms of trying to like get your stuff commissioned. Because even though I've made like films for the past eight years and I've been dropping out content, I'm still as a sort of unknown writer, I'm still like classed as an emerging writer. And if I was to apply for an incentive, they would still see me as someone with no experience. I get it. Do you get what I mean? I get it. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's just, it's a lot. <laughs> All right. What about the distribution? What do you want to say about that? Uh, when you finish to make the film, how do you get it distributed? So I literally do everything by myself. So at the minute, I've just, because I'm, I do other stuff as well. So I'm like quite active on social media. I like to see myself as an influencer. I've got like a YouTube channel. So I just sort of promote my films around the audiences that I've built throughout the years of like doing acting, doing spoken words and things like that. So it's just really at the minute, me getting my films out there is just 
like doing stuff like this, having an interview with you, like talking about my um, filmmaking career. So I do get interviewed quite a lot. And I never turn down interviews because I always feel like that sort of um, building sort of a stepping stone to who you are than your journey. So when you do get to that sort of global crossover, people can come back and look at your stuff and they'll be like, oh my God, she was doing this from way back and they get to learn about your journey. So I'm just pushing my own stuff at the moment. <laughs> like Literally like online, Insta, TikTok, LinkedIn, YouTube, like anywhere I can pull it out there. Networking in person, like anytime I meet someone, I'm like, yeah, I'm a filmmaker, what's my film? So that is literally my distribution. Oh yeah, I should say that I was lucky with my last film because the last film that I did, Dismiss, that did really well. It did get picked up by a distribution company called Focus First International in the States. So that got picked up. It did end up going on like seven um, streaming platforms, including Apple and um, what's the next one? Amazon. So it, it got quite big, actually. But that was doing like I had to do a social media marketing campaign. I did get some press and things like that. And yeah, you just got to like really grind and get your stuff out there. So well, that, that story, that uh, film you were talking about, I got some distribution. Uh, tell us something about it. Get some people curious. So Dismissed is a anti-bullying short film and I made the film to bring awareness to um, young individuals that are getting bullied. And to also sort of take away the stereotype of the type of person that can be bullied. So in my film, it's a young girl. She's an A-star pupil. She does modelling. And that's not usually your sort of character that is sort of um, put out there as someone who gets bullied. It's usually sort of a downtrodden student or someone that's not very popular but it's not always the case. Like sometimes it can be the popular girl. It can be the one that is sort of striving the most in class. And I also wanted to sort of highlight in the film, like how um, the pressures of teachers can sort of have an impact on students who are getting bullied because like sometimes teachers, like they, they make it quite obvious that they have certain students who they prefer the most and they might always choose them to do the reading and always choose them to um, stand up in class and when they put their hand, they're always the one that gets chosen. And that can put a lot of pressure on young students as well, like of how um, their, their peers might treat them for being the special one in class. So it highlights so many things. It's only a 30 minute short, but it also highlights mental health um, self-harm, suicide, because these are the impacts of um, somebody who's getting bullied. Like these, these are the, the, the outcomes that can occur with a young person. And it's not spoken about enough. Like the link between suicide and bullying is massive. And I feel like the media and the press, they always stay away from it and they don't sort of um, bring it to the forefront enough to... Um, make others aware, make young people aware that their actions can create serious and um, life-changing sort of circumstances for people that they target. Thank you for that. Thank you for your work. Yeah, <laughs> that's <laughs> right. 
<laughs> All right. So what, what was the what was the reaction of the people when you um I mean when you screened the film to the people, what did the what did you hear people say about the film? I mean the story that you share. Yeah. Um so when I put out um dismissed online, I had the, if like if people go on there, you will see there's like thousands and thousands of comments. And the thing that, that people were so happy for, they were just so thankful that obviously the message was out there. I was bringing awareness to the situation and that there was sort of hope because in the end of the film, there's hope that the teacher finds the young girl. I won't give away too much, but the teacher finds the young girl and she embraces her and gives her a hug. And it did so much for young people that I didn't even expect that the um, response would have been that they would like the main response from young people is that they wish someone could just hug them. They wish they had a teacher like that. But my whole point of doing it was to give young people that hope that there are people out there like that, that do, do care about them, that they're not on their own. So yeah, that was really the biggest sort of mind blowing thing that I got from people that watched the film was that they just wish that they had a teacher like that. And just for, Thanks for bringing it to the forefront, like we're making it aware of how young people, what they go through. Looking at the bully, because it happened in all across the board now, um, if somebody were to ask you what are the, uh, what are the causes, what usually uh, maybe lead to bully in classes or among, among people? Because it's not something that we particularly like, no? Nobody wants to be bullied, nobody wants to be on that, on that end. Well, what would you say are some of the things leading to it? I think some of the main things is like um, young people don't understand um, being different. So if somebody's different to them, then they usually tend to target them because they don't understand that we are all different. <laughs> we are all individuals. And this is how media can become dangerous because it kind of like, it, it streamlines a certain image of how we are and who we should be as people and what we should look like. And if you, you look different, you come in, you've got red hair, you're instantly a target to young people because you're just different. So I feel like diff, being different is a major thing of like young people being targeted. Thank you. Thank you for that. Now, looking at maybe uh, the UK society, uh, the place where you grew or where you were born. Um, what kind of change would you like to see? I just want to see that. Um, I would love to see what would be my ideal thing in this life is that um, black people could just be equal and treat it just the same as white people in this country because there's still still so much segregation and there still is like racism in the UK and we are still marginalised and we're still unrepresented. And I just feel like we're in the 2022. It's ridiculous. I've lived on this planet for 42 years and I've always felt like the way like society has made me feel, especially like growing up in Britain, that I've always been lesser than. And I just feel like that needs to be changed. Like, for our younger generation, we need to just really get over this thing now and just become equal. Because we are in 2022 and our life today uh, is highly influenced by technology, internet. You see, 
right now um in italy you are in uk yeah look as if maybe we are just sitting next to each other as we are talking you know so i'm trying to see if there is any way maybe technology and the use of internet have influenced or is influencing storytelling today maybe looking at filmmaking for example yeah i feel like um with the internet that you can have control over where who you want to be and where you want to um like how to grow your audience basically because it it's just endless the internet is endless of what you can do so even just my film hitting over 1.1 million views like if we didn't have the internet that I could never reach those people doing it by myself but with the internet the sky has no limits like you can do whatever you want like you can really go huge you can go big like just look at the Kardashians, for example. Like there are like two hundred million followers. It's ridiculous. Do you get what I mean? But the power of that is that you can do anything. Like the internet has just shown us that you can you can literally do anything that you want in this world. Just even to the friends that you have and the groups that you build the networking and things like that you can I know people like all over the world through the internet that I can do filmmaking with and who I've become friends with just from meeting them online those people you can do film with if I that is where actually I'm going here in the possibility of collaboration because now with the internet we can reach many places you can become my eyes in UK. I can become your eyes in Italy. Yeah. <laughs> so we can work together now. Yeah. So tell me about that. What is the role of collaboration in filmmaking today? Yeah, there's so many opportunities of um, collaborating. And I feel like it's good to collaborate, especially internationally. So once I sort of break through in the UK, I'm gonna, I've am gonna. i got a friend that I am in Spain. I met him a few years ago at a film event. And we're going to be collaborating on a US sort of UK um, film. So that's going to obviously build his audience over here because he wants to like get his stuff, more, more of his content in the UK. And I want to get more of my content in the US. So collaboration is everything when it comes to filmmaking. Like every single film, you have to collaborate with people. You've got to collaborate with the videographers, you got to collaborate with the, the casting agent. Like, everyone is sort of freelance, so collaboration is so important in filmmaking. Is getting get along with people, because that, that's how you're going to sort of get yourself out there and sort of build up your career. All right. Now, looking back to the community uh, in UK, where you live, you know, and the people that are most close to you, because they are the people that are more close to you than maybe the global community. What are they telling you about the the story that you are telling? How is it um, reflecting in their eyes, in their faces? Most of my so people say they cry, like once once they've read like either one of my scripts or they watched one of my films because. That is the impact that I'm trying to create when I'm making it. I want people to be moved. I want them to learn stuff. So a lot of people say they learn things, like they, they got a new perspective on something. Um, they laughed because you have to laugh as well. <laughs> so, yeah, they, it, it made them laugh, um, made them cry. And 
gave them something to think about. Is there any way, maybe uh, your historic origin coming from uh, Jamaica have any influence on the story that you are telling? Or maybe try to have to dig back to maybe those story where your parents come from, uh, things like that. Is there any maybe a line that you trace on those areas? Yeah, I always use the Jamaican lingo in my scripts because we don't see it on TV. (laughs) (laughs) That was how many years ago? I don't even know how many years ago now, but you never hear like um, people talking Jamaican. And I grew up, my mum was from Kingston, so I grew up with raw Jamaican in my, even though I'm British, I grew up with raw Jamaican in my household. So I always use Jamaican characters. I think that is like, important so I always do that and um just the root of like the strong black woman I feel like that comes from sort of the Jamaican and African and just sort of black culture in general and I don't think it should be hidden like um a lot of times you like when sort of white women read my script they might say oh the the woman's too strong and I'm like yeah but this is who we are <laughs> there's a reason behind it do you get what I mean we have morals and values that have built our core foundations to be strong we go like we go through life with so many challenges of just being black and then being black of a, like Jamaican descent so you go for them challenges you have to be strong Sorry if I'm pushing you there. <laughs> <laughs> but the Jamaican coming out. Like, oh, <laughs> no, you're not pushing me. Fine. Of course, we need to. We need to do that. That is that is our origin. That is where we are coming from. So we must talk about ourselves. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. If I were to take maybe the or the line a little bit further, do you have have it ever occurred to you that maybe? of the possibility of having a kind of a collaboration with some producers in Africa too, maybe in your film or your storytelling, is some way that you might collaborate? Oh yeah, definitely. I would, I would collaborate anywhere over the world with filmmakers, 100%. Stories are, I, lo- I love Nollywood stories. They're so funny and so melodramatic. <laughs> but they're so, that they, they just really, um, love to tell stories out there and yeah I know people that's like immigrated to Nigeria and doing really well in um Nollywood films and stuff like that so yeah I would collaborate with anyone like anywhere over the world and make films all right that, that's good but you at the moment you don't have any collaboration there because why of course I'm stressing this line is because yeah, in this podcast, we stress the line of collaboration a lot because, you know, some people will say, oh, I don't know about Africa because they didn't tell me. But yeah. what if you are mature enough now to be able to know yourself? Africa is not in another planet. It's here. Go and find out if you want to. Uh, it's even more cheaper now because there are people coming from Africa. They are just your ne- neighbor. Yeah. Even there in UK or US or Canada, wherever you are, they are there. Let's talk. Let's talk about ourselves. So there's no... It's not like to know about Africa, you need to only read it in the book. Africa is not a philosophy. Yeah. There are people. So I want to know about my Jamaica brothers. Let me just pick a, a telephone call and say, hey, come on, let's meet today in the bar. Let's talk. Yeah. Because they are not like, it's a, it's a planet, no? We are here together. Yeah. No, so this is, 
This is why I'm trying to stress much about this uh, collaboration because also in the field of academics, uh, people that are maybe writing history, historic uh, things, yes, yeah, so they did it teach us. Yes, I know, but you are alive today. You can take a flight to go to Lagos if you want to. Yeah, nobody's going to stop you. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me more about this collaboration. Which opportunity do you think could be there that we could tap into? I'm not saying you must do it now, but that we could tap it. It doesn't mean also in Africa. It can be in Germany. Why not? There are some African in France. So I'm looking at it in a global sense of it. How do you see that we might, collab we might better benefit from collaborating among ourselves? Well, I have, um, I think just the, it will benefit of just teaching each other just the different, um, just the different processes because every country is going to have their their own way of how they make films and just how they raise finance and stuff like that. And I know there's like a load of um, like international co-finances going on at the moment in terms of like making club doing collaborations abroad and things like that. But um, yeah, I just say share each other's stories in it. Different, you're going to get different characters. You're going to get different perspectives. Even just collaborating abroad, you get different locations, just a different outlook on how you can put together the production as doing that um, collaboration. All right. If you know any filmmakers, then yeah, put them my way, innit? All right. That's good. That's what, that's what we need to do. That's why we're here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, definitely. 100%. <laughs> All right. Now, let's return to the UK. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you think uh, more uh, British, more black British, more black British um, Jamaica should be involved in filmmaking? Why? Why? Because it's it's we we exist. <laughs> That's why. Like we, I think because we're not seen and we we do exist and we people need to see and hear our stories and catch our jokes and know like who we are and what we're about instead of just like flying over to Jamaica and being like oh yeah I went on holiday and like a tourist resort like you need to get the real raw root of who we are I just feel like it's why not <laughs> all right why not all right now why not let's talk about your uh, film project absent Oh, yeah. What do you want people to know about that? Let's let's spend some time there. Okay, so the project that I'm working on now is Absent, and it's a film that's based on my real life story. So, 11 years ago, when I had my son, his father abandoned him and just absconded, basically. And during that time, it just brought up so much sort of emotions and so much sort of buried trauma of my own father's absence and my father he's been absent pretty much my whole life um I didn't meet him till I was like 11 and yeah it was just in and out and just gone um but it just brought up so much trauma and I just started to look at like the pattern and the cycle of just like my community and how I had so many people around me who had sort of grown up in broken homes and I really wanted to sort of um, put my experience out there into a film con context for just not even just women. Like, obviously, I wanted to give women a voice on what we go through when we're abandoned with our children. And initially, it was sort of like 
a film where I wanted to um, not only highlight the issue, but highlight sort of the um, injustice of not being able to do anything about it. Because around the time when I was abandoned with my son, I wanted to like, I was calling up solicitors and I was like, this man's just run off. And I was like, yeah, but we can't um, force him to be a dad. And I found that really alarming. I was like, wow, so you can just have a child and they can just run off. So it was so important to make the film on so many um, levels, to be fair, because I feel like single mums um, have a stigma around them. They're just seen as sort of like the misfits of society who raise the wayward kids. And it's not always the case. Like single mums can raise powerful children, very grounded children, and um, children that are, are loved and are balanced. So I feel like it was important for me to make the film to just highlight absent parenting and single parenting in the black community because it is very common. It's a worldwide situation that occurs on a daily. And um, I wanted to make a film where we can look at ourselves and reflect and think, how can we change this? How can we make a difference in breaking this cycle? All right, that's a very important. I can see that that project is going places. That yeah. is a very important conversation. <laughs> it's a, I've been developing it now for about seven years. That's how hard it is to get stuff off of the ground overhead. You get what I mean? But I'm not giving up. This is a film that has to be told. This is a story that has to be told. It's going to be a life-changing film for so many people. Like, it is going to, I feel like it's going to change so much. When are people expected to see it? So the film will be out next year, 2023. So I'm making it this year. About this film and about the topic of it, because I just said that it's a very important conversation. Yeah. The absent may disappearing. But why? Why may disappearing? I think there's many different reasons. And this is what I sort of depict and portray in the film because it's not just one-sided it's not just like a lot of the time when you talk about absent fathers because I do like have a lot of debates online about it men tend to always come at me and be like oh but you get parental alienation and yeah that is um also another instance of how fathers are absent and I don't dismiss that at all. But the type of absent father that I'm talking about is the one that just absconds. They've got the financial resources. They've got the, the ability to raise their kids, but they just do not want to. And the reason why I feel like a lot of men can become absent because there's nothing to stop them. There's no law to say that you can't. And it's so frequent, like even a lot of males might have like their friends who are absent and or their father was absent. So they don't see anything wrong with it. They feel like, oh, well, I'm, I'm all right. Or um, it doesn't really matter. And the way society looks at it, they're not chastised enough. So they get away with it. You've got so many celebrities that are absent fathers publicly. And th there's no sort of reprimand for them. <laughs> it's just seen as the norm because it's so common. So if you're allowed to do something, you just, you do it, innit? If you're not going to, it's like me going in the shop, if I take something and I know that I can get away with it, 
I'm going to keep doing it or just, I'm just going to do it without thinking about it. Maybe they don't understand how the children feel, the children that are left behind. Um, how do the children feel when a father run away, leaving a child behind? Are there some consequences to that in terms of what that child feels? Because I want to, in, in my ordinary thinking about it, I want to believe that a child wants to live with the mother and the father together and able to run from one to the other and talk and just feel the warmth, no? So the question is, do we understand how the children feel about that absence? I don't think we understand enough and I don't think that the impact of how children feel when, when a parent becomes absent is spoken about enough. But I feel like there's so many different um issues that kids can go through they can go through abandonment issues rejection issues identity issues because if you're being created by two people but you only see one on the daily you lose that other side of who you are like what was they like what is their personality like I also feel like single parent and um, children who grow up in single parent homes they have a different lifestyle they grow up in a lot of hardship not all the time like obviously it's not always the case like some people might have the finances but in a lot of the situations they are growing up in poverty they're growing up with a different in a different environment where they, they might have a friend at school who's got two parents and they're flying out on holiday like three four times a year and a child in a single parent home is missing out because they've never been on holiday because their mum is working all the time and she can't afford it. Or it can be fathers in certain cases as well. It's not just always the, um, the mum that is the one left. But at the end of the day, it's 90% of the time it is the single mother. But um, there's just so much. And I feel like as well, because I grew up in a single parent home and I didn't really understand the, the the impacts that it had on me until I was in my 30s. And I was like, realised that I had, so I've got like attachment issues, I've got um, abandonment issues and rejection issues. And it was like, all these things, like obviously I've had to face and heal and work through, but I didn't understand what they were, even just living in my masculine as a woman and because I had no one to I didn't grow up with a father who made me feel safe so I was always in that alpha mode of like how I saw my mum just always being in that masculine role all the time so there's just there's so much impact that it has not having both parents involved like I'm not saying even that you have to be in the same household because sometimes it doesn't work but just having a good enough co-parenting relationship and seeing your child, like having that stability, that consistency in your child's life makes a huge difference in their life. Because even just because my fortunate for me, like my son's um, father did sort of re-engage after like six years, he came back around five, five and a half years, he came back in our son's life. And it was really difficult at first because he was just very, he didn't want to commit, he didn't want to like put any sort of solid um, contact order in place and things like that. But then now, fortunately, it they do have a solid relationship. And I always look at my son and think like, 
who would he be? Like, who would he be miss? What would he be missing out on? Like, not having his dad around? Because in the first few years, it was um, it was just me. So he was a lot sort of, I'd say, was a lot more um, softer and just he didn't have certain traits of the male that because I can't teach him to be a man. So he didn't have that. And I was just so fortunate that obviously now he's got his dad and I see that side of him that is like his dad because he can um, get get that mirroring from his father, which is it's just so important to have both parents I feel in your in your life. It's so important, it's so critical. That is why I'm thinking that this film is going to go places. Of course it depends also on, on your story, the story you tell on it, because this is very powerful. It's a very powerful story and it's so important also. This this man that go away, okay, I'm trying to understand if you, the kind of question that you ask when you were gathering the information together to, to make the film, is it out of pure wicked and they are just wicked that they run away abandoning their children? And your story, you are looking at the disappearance, no? Yeah. The man that is disappearing. <laughs> so are they disappearing because they are wicked or is there any rational justification for it? Um... I think some men can be quite obviously evil because they do it out of spite. Like some men want you to suffer, like they want you to struggle. They like that. They know it's going to be harder for you to do anything as a single mum because you got twice the work and it's it's going to be slow. Like even if I had my um my son's father around um, earlier on, I could have been a lot more ahead in my career because everything gets slowed down. So I think there is a side of it where it's about control. But as well, again, sometimes I just feel like they just, because it's acceptable and nobody says anything and there's no punishment for it, they can just do it. Like, even though I believe that there's karma, like, I believe that men who abandon their children will have severe karma, and it might not be um, when kids are young, but definitely at some point that karma is going to come around, because I've seen it. Like, I grew up in the 80s, and absent dads was, like, it was a thing. <laughs> men were having kids. It was the sort of roster culture. They was having kids everywhere like my dad's got about 15 kids no way yeah and um but you see them now like you see those same men now and they're like homeless and like living with incurable diseases and stuff like that like I believe like you cannot abandon your seed and have a fruitful life that's just me that's what I personally believe but I feel like the main the main reason why like men can just squand and not like look back is because they can so there's actually a law in lagos where you get punished for abandonment lagos nigeria yeah okay a woman a woman was abandoned and she changed the law because she got pregnant and this guy just left her and abandoned her and then they changed the law i don't know how forceful it is but if you look it up because this is when I first wrote my film, I was doing research because initially I was going to change the law in the UK to make it a punishment to abandon your child. I feel it is it is terrible, no? 
yeah. for a child to grow up without the grow up. Not not that one is dead, but it's alive. It's somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> how do you how do you do that? Now, how do you tell the story? Okay, now I'm asking you, Aisha. How do you tell the story? What do you tell your son about the father who is not there? That is a good man. If you tell him that he's a bad man, you are planting an image in his head. Is that going to have any consequences or not? Are you going to tell him that he's a bad man? What are you going? How are you going to frame the story? No, let I me understand that. What in you're talking about my film or in just in real life? No, not just in general in, in real life. I mean, I, I'm trying to see that that is is very I delicate. Like, there. I just feel like for me, I feel like you should not talk bad about the other parent, regardless of their their actions, because it's not your job to paint that picture to the child. The child will see it for themselves. So really, it is difficult. It's a very difficult question when a child says, "Where's my dad?" Like. How do you answer that question when you don't know yourself half the time where they are? But the the most you can say is you don't know. Like your dad right now is away, or do you get what I mean? There's I just feel like don't put a negative on it. Don't ever paint a bad picture because allow your child to find out for themselves because they will. Kids will find out for themselves. They will eventually find that. Like I grew up without my dad around and then what by the time I hit like 12 13 I started to hear stories about who he was and that wasn't ever from my mum anyway it's a, I look at it as a complicated story to be told no? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm imagining now a child that is maybe six seven years old you are starting primary school you are living you are in primary school now you see the parents of what are coming to pick them are not coming to pick you uh, maybe only one is coming maybe only your father in a rare case and in most of the cases your mother if she's a, uh, a broken home yeah i want to believe that that is a serious i want to repeat that again that there is a serious consequences a psychological consequences on that child maybe i'm wrong prove me wrong no there will of course there will be the hundred percent because that child's always going to feel like they're not good enough or they've been abandoned or why them or what's wrong with them? Was it was it them? Remember, some kids grow up with blaming themselves for their parental absence. They feel like, oh, was it my fault? Was it because I was born? Why didn't he stay around? And especially when, because a lot of the cases, like the men will have other families and they will look after them and they will be different with their other kids and just like abandon that one so that can have serious psychological um effects on that child 100 percent. all right now what do you think because i want to believe that after you screen this film some people are going to <laughs> I, I do documentary too so sometimes i remember a number of times that i've screened my documentary i have the so-called q a where we start to maybe the documentary session didn't even last as long as what the Q&A is going to last for, I mean, in terms of the question and answer, because people need to interact. I believe as a filmmaker, if you make your film, you take it to a cinema or take it to screen somewhere, everybody see it, then everybody just go home and say, okay, bye-bye. Yeah. I don't think you are going to be happy. You are stirring up a conversation. Your joy is that at the end of the, the day, people are going to agree, some other are going to disagree. 
That is where you have the time to be able to explain why did you have to tell the story like this. So I believe somebody is going to ask you at the point, what is the solution? So that a man and a, mother, a, man and a woman can stay together to take care of their children. We believe that this is the right family. What would be your answer? I feel like that um, there should be programs and um, like I, I believe that like if a man is like for me a solution would be like uh, that there's repercussions so if a man becomes absent he's perfectly able to care for that child he wouldn't put the child in danger he's just running away I believe they should be reprimanded to take a course and learn about the impacts that they're having on that child. That that is what I strongly believe. Like you, if you're drink driving and you get caught, you're sent onto a course to learn about the the impacts that you can have by doing that. So why shouldn't it be the same for someone who just abandons their child? Like we need to start educating each other on how this affects not only the child, but who we become as adults, because it's a lifelong impact that it has on your life of not having that other parent around because you have so much different questions and why should you have to heal from being born? Like I had to go for a healing process to understand who I was and why I had so much certain issues, especially in relationships. Why did I have those issues? And that was down to not having a dad around. So why, I feel like the absent parent needs to understand the impact. Because understanding impact and hearing like older adults speak about what they went through as a child, it might change things. It might change things. Just it, I feel it could change things a lot because at the minute we don't know. We don't. Nobody talks about it. So how is a man? If a man's, if a man like I'm using a man for example, but it can be a woman. But if a man's absent, he's absent out of his child life for I'd say what 15, 20 years. He's getting on with his life. He doesn't know that child. He doesn't see that child. So he doesn't have no understanding of what, what the child is going through or who the child has become or what's going on in that child's head. He's just living in his life. But then add on another 15 years and that child ends up on drugs or just in a really bad sort of societal deficit <laughs> way. And then he's not gonna he's not gonna put that down to his absence. But then evidently it could be down to his absence of how that person has turned out. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, so I think we have to we have to bring it to the forefront. We have to have these conversations. We have to have the debate. And I feel like it is happening. Like it's people are talking about it more. When I started making this film because I tried to make this film before so many times and I feel like it wasn't ready because it was so early and people weren't ready to have the conversations back then. But I feel like now people are ready to have these conversations. People are ready to learn. And men, I feel like if they get the information, they will learn. They will learn. Like 
when me and my ex used to go through certain situations, instead of me screaming at him and things like that, I'd send him information about his actions of how it was having an impact on me. And he did change it around. And I do believe a lot of like educating him helped him. <laughs> All right. I like that. The educating him helped him. Now, I want to uh, turn the question around. Is it only the men that actually need the education or the women too? I want to get the, the picture clear from you because you are doing this story, you are collecting data around it. Is the is problem only with the men or do you also find that it's something that both we need to or learn to better adapt to this? Because now we are talking about relationship. It's a relationship that is broken. That is why the men run away. But if, maybe if we can mend it, it will stay. Yeah, I think it can be both because it takes two to tango. And I feel like, obviously, when you are sort of abandoned with your child, it conjures up certain emotions. And those emotions are usually bitterness, anger. So oftentimes, and a lot of the times, it's the way the woman responds as well. Like, we, we don't always respond in the best way. That's why... You, the, like, the men might say, oh, my baby mother's crazy or something, because it, you are left with a lot of anger and resentment when you're left in those situations. So I feel like it's not just one-sided and women can be taught as well. And like what you say, we should have more programs on bridging the fact, building the family back together, like bringing the families back together, a lot more mediation. And I know a lot of that stuff is happening now. So it is, when I was sort of going through my situation, these things weren't around or it was just like starting out. It was just on the cusp of like going to mediation and things like that because the family unit is so important. It's such a powerful thing to have like your family together. Now, doing stories that are, okay, I don't want to say complicated, but require a lot of things to put together now because I can imagine the research you are going to do, talk to different people, and if you, of course, put your emotion in it, okay, I understand also uh, your background and all that is something that you, you might particularly be passionate about to talk, to talk on, uh, which make it even very valid. Uh, what inspires you in your filmmaking to do stories like this and others? What inspires me to do stories like this because I like I'm I'm all about um, injustice and change. So it just inspires me to because I hear people talking about stuff and then I'm just like, why is no one like, why is no one like making a film about this? Because it's all about sort of debate and conversations and bringing things to the, the forefront of our society, like things that people do dismiss and are taboo and people don't want to talk about. So I'm inspired for that sort of change because the way I've written the film, the way I've written Absent, I feel like it's got so many different story arcs. It's got so many different angles. It covers the generational cycle of absent parenting. It covers sort of like the breakdown in family units and things like that so I don't I don't feel like the film has any stones left unturned so I'm just inspired about um making change really and having my voice heard 
representing my culture, representing things that I go through that I feel um, can help others and bring a voice, give a voice to others in similar situations. I remember you did mention of the fact that you have an academy where you teach people about uh, storytelling. Is it correct? Yeah. Okay. And um, yeah, so maybe you might have something there that you are selling. I want you to use these few seconds to promote yourself. Uh, tell people how to get you. Let's okay. Go. So if you want to find me, guys, you can go to my website, which is www.ascottproductions.com. Or you can find me online. If you type in Aisha Scott in Google, you will get all my socials, my Google, TikTok. I'm on YouTube, um, Twitter. So I'm everywhere. LinkedIn. So, yeah, that's how you can find me online. Um, if you do want to learn about filmmaking, I do run some workshops. So do get in touch. I also run a filmmakers consultancy. So if you want advice on how to make a short film, short indie film with no budget, then yeah, get in touch as well. If you want to start, uh, you have limited budget, Ashal is there to help. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what will be your final statement here to conclude the conversation? Well, I just thank you for having me for, for starters. Like, I really appreciate you giving me the platform to. I feel like I've really gone into depth with so many things here in terms of just my filmmaking, who I am. And it's just so important to have podcasts like this to sort of reach the masses and reach different audiences. So, yeah, no, thank you for having me. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. If you enjoy this podcast, make sure you subscribe so you never miss any of our future episodes. Rate and review Obehead Podcast and share with your friends who might need it. I remain Obehead A14. Thank you so much for listening and talk to you in the next episode.